is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. In John 4, we have a story where Jesus meets a woman by the well. From her perspective, I'm I'm pretty sure it's pretty random. She went out there and Jesus happened to be there. But obviously from God's perspective, it wasn't random. God orchestrated that encounter. I think that's pretty obvious that God was working to bring Jesus and that woman there uh, at that that time. And uh, Jesus has this conversation with her that's convicting and challenging. And you remember that she walks away or runs away from that meeting saying, I've met the Messiah. And she runs into town and she tells everybody, hey, I've, I've met this man and I think he's, uh, he's the Messiah. And then the Bible says that everybody from the village came out to meet him. And then they invited him to go back into the village and stay with them for a couple of days. And in, in verse 42 of John 4, we read, we know they say to her, I'm, I'm assuming this is after Jesus has left. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But we know we no longer believe, they say, just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the of the world. And my desire has been over these last few weeks has been to rekindle in us a vision that we might challenge our village that we might go to our village and, and at the end of the day, our village might be transformed because of our impact on our neighbors. And, and I've hoped that there'll come a day, maybe in the near future, that some of our neighbors might say to us, I no longer believe. We no longer believe because of what you say, but we have heard for ourselves and we too know that Jesus really is the Savior of the world. Now, one of the questions I've been asking over the last few weeks for us to consider is, well, if that's the vision that God has for us as believers and as a church family, if that is God's vision for us, that we go out here and really be transformational in our community, how do we bring that about? What has to happen for that to to come about in our lives and through our church family? And I've suggested a number of things. In fact, each week I've been saying, here's something that we need to embrace afresh. And so the first week, I tell you, we need to embrace Jesus afresh. We need to love Jesus with all our heart, souls, mind, and strength. Without, without that, we're not going to change anything if we don't somehow find ourselves falling in love with Jesus again. And again, I, I think we can all relate. If we just think about relationships in our own life, right, it's easy to become complacent. It's easy to become, it's easy to lose that, that kind of first strong love and just sort of just be drifting along. And I I think Jesus, we can do that with our Savior as well. And so I've been challenging us, hey, let's not just drift. Let's, Let's do the things we used to do. And then the second week, I said we need to embrace the apostles' teaching, the training that it brings about in our life. Last week, by the way, I think last week's message, from my perspective anyway, was one of the more consequential I've shared. And if you didn't hear it, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen. I really would, because I told you that we have to embrace the family of God if we're going to change the world. And, and I asked you, and maybe this is a little bit strong, but I asked you to find your identity in the people of God. 
And, and I realize that we need to find our identity in Jesus ultimately, but I think there's a sense in which we need to find our identity in each other, in the fact that we belong to the family of God, and we're God's sons and daughters, and we're brothers and sisters. And I was challenging you and me to, to fall in love with the family of God and to embrace it in a, in a new and fresh sort of way. And, and I ask you this, I said, listen, stop attending church and be the church. And you might say, well, that's just a semantics thing, because I say it all the time. I say, yeah, what church do you attend? But I tell you, almost invariably when I say that, I stop myself. And I say, no, that's not what I mean. Are you, what church are you a part of? What church do you belong to? In other words, and you say, well, it's just words. No, yeah, but words reflect our heart. And so I would urge you to stop talking about the church you attend or attending church because you attending our gathering this morning isn't what it's all about. It's about you and me being part of the family of God. And if we're going to change the world, somehow or another we've got to embrace the family of God and find our identity in each other and in, in, this, in this group, this ecclesia, this called out group of people that we are, right? So today, my call for us today is to embrace the person of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say to us, listen, if we're going to be transformational, we, we have got to somehow embrace, rekindle our love, our commitment, our walk with the Spirit of God. And, um, and we need to lean in to His power. We need to lean into His power. And I'm suggesting that the way we lean into Him, the way we lean into Him is through prayer. That's what I'm going to suggest to us this morning. And you may say, well, uh, that's not enough. That's not right. That's, that's, this is where I feel like the Lord has led me. I want to share with you, and I'm going to try to defend my, my call to you this morning. But, but we need to leave. If we're going to change the community, we've, we've got to embrace the fact that the Spirit of God lives within us. And, and He is the one who is empowering us and changing us and working in us. And we've got to look to Him and we've got to lean into Him. And I think the way we lean into His power and into His person is through prayer. So hopefully I can defend that. So I want to back up this morning and what I want to do is a little bit different than normal. You'll notice there's no notes in your bulletins because I don't have a, I don't have a, a logical point succession today. I'm simply going to back up and we're going to go into, and go into the Scriptures and just talk about the Spirit of God. Now, in the books of the Old Testament, we don't find a lot of great specific teaching about the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we do find Him mentioned quite a bit, but no real systematic teaching about the Spirit of the Lord. Judges 3.10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel and he judged Israel. Judges 6.34, so the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and the Abizrites were called together to follow him. And Samuel says, Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Ezekiel says of himself in chapter 11, Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. And he said to me, Stay, say thus says the Lord, so you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. Anyway, he goes on. My point is simply that in the Old Testament, we find these references to the Spirit of the Lord. By the time we get to the New Testament, what we find is that the Spirit of the Lord has been not renamed, maybe further named, but He's been called the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of holiness or the, or the Holy Spirit. Luke 4.1, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. 
That could be the Spirit of the Lord, full of the Spirit of the Lord. Returned from the Jordan was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. Matthew 1.18, but the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.20, but when he had thought this over, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. By the time we get to Jesus' 30th birthday and John the Baptist on the scene, John says this about Jesus. Matthew 3.11, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. Now listen, he, this Messiah who's coming, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, as I took this week and I went through the Gospels and I, and I began to look about what did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, you know, feel free to, to speak to me afterwards if you don't think I got this right, but there's just not a lot of systematic teaching from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. There's not a lot of teaching from Jesus in those three years of ministry. There's not a lot of teaching about the Spirit of God. Now, He does mention the Holy Spirit. In Luke, Jesus says, the Father would give us the Holy Spirit. He said, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will God the Father give you the Holy Spirit? He also told his disciples, he said, if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then there is no forgiveness. And then a third thing he said about the Holy Spirit, he said that when we're persecuted, the Holy Spirit will tell us what to say and will be with us. But apart from those three things in the three years of Jesus' ministry, I, I didn't, I, I must say I didn't miss something, but there's just not a lot of stuff where Jesus is teaching us about, about the Holy Spirit during his ministry. Um, however, on the night of his crucifixion, on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus does talk more about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so he's, he's waiting till the end. Now, does that mean that, that, that during, those, <clears throat> during those three years that Jesus didn't maybe in great detail talk to him about the Spirit? I mean, I don't know. It's just simply not recorded for us. Maybe he did talk in great detail about the Spirit. But I know that when we get to that last night, he, he does tell them some things about the Spirit. So what I'd like to do is have you turn in your Bibles to John 14. And I, I'm going to just walk us through... A number of things that he said about the Spirit that night, okay. And in, in John fourteen, it's the it's the it's the night of the Lord's Supper. It's the night where Judas leaves to betray Jesus, and it's a night in which John, the Apostle John, records for us all kinds of teaching. And again, you know, John John wrote in his gospel. He said, you know, if we wrote down everything that Jesus taught us, it, the books would fill the earth. <laughs> That's hyperbole. You know, he's not, that's not really true. What he's trying to say is that there's just an awful lot more that Jesus taught us that we're not recording for you, that's not written down for you. So it could be that Jesus taught an awful lot about the Spirit, but it's just not recorded for us, but it's not. But when we get to John 14 on that night, Jesus will talk about the Spirit uh, in some detail. 
So let's look at John 14, verse, uh, verse 15. Jesus has talked about his death, talked about his going away, talked about how he's the, the way, the truth, and the life, and how he is the provider of life. And then in verse 15, he says to his disciples at night, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him and know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now, Jesus tells them that at his request that night, he says, when I leave, I'm going to send somebody. God's going to send somebody and he's going to be a counselor. Your translation may say helper. Uh, in, in that place. The, the actual word, as we've said many times, is it's, it's a Greek compound word, para kaleo. It simply means para beside, kaleo to call. So, so the word literally meant someone called alongside you, right? So it's the idea of someone called alongside you to counsel you or someone called alongside you to help you. And so that's where we get the words counselor and helper. Jesus refers to him as the spirit of truth. And he says that people that don't follow me, they won't be able to recognize him. They, they won't know him or see him. You're not going to be able to see him. They won't even know he exists. But you'll know because he's going to be in you. Now, for those of us who are a part of the kingdom of God, Jesus says that this one who's called alongside is going to be a spirit of truth. He's going to be a counselor, a helper, depending on how translators have translated that word. But Jesus said he's going to be with us and in us, and he's not going to, he's talking to these men. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now, an orphan is someone who has, who doesn't have anybody, doesn't have anybody to care for him or her. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I've got someone who's going to care for you. Let's drop down to verse 25. After some other things, Jesus says in verse 25, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, I don't know if you noticed there, but Jesus identifies the parakaleo. Do you see it? He says he's the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the Spirit of the Lord. This is who God is going to send. And, and when God's going to send him, and he says he's going to have this job, the Father's going to send him, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, in a, in a little bit, I don't want to jump ahead, but I need to, I need to read this to you. Um, He's going to say that he will guide them into all truth. And they would know all truth. Okay? So, listen carefully to what I'm going to say here. And it's okay that you would disagree with me. But I don't think that this is a promise that we can specifically apply to ourselves. That the Holy Spirit is is going to lead us into all truth and remind us of the things that God has, that Jesus taught us because we weren't in that group. We weren't in the group that was there when Jesus taught and heard what Jesus said. Has it ever, has it ever troubled you that if uh, the Spirit of God is going to teach us all things and lead us into all truth, does it trouble you that there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands, I'm not exaggerating, denominations 
that are divided on the basis of what they say is truth. That bother y'all? It's always bothered me. I've never been able to understand it. How, how is it that if the Spirit of God is going to lead all of us believers into truth and, and, and not get it wrong, so you'll have it right, you'll remember everything that I've said, etc. If we're going to take that promise and apply it to ourselves, so that he's saying, I'm going to lead every one of you into all truth so you don't get it wrong. How is it that we all so disagree on so many things about what is truth? And that only leads me to one conclusion, that the specificity of this promise is directed towards those men that he was talking to that night. And here's what I mean by that. You know, I just got through telling you a few weeks ago that we need to lean into the apostles' teaching. I think what Jesus is telling them is the Holy Spirit of God is going to make sure you guys get it absolutely right. You will agree, and you will remember, and you will understand. And you guys, when you bring forth the apostles' teaching, you will do it in unity so that you will become the foundation of the church. I think this is a promise that Jesus is specifically making to them that the Spirit of God was going to lead them into all truth so that, so that what they brought forth would be what we call today the Word of God, right? Would be the apostles' teaching. And, and, so, and so Paul and some of the other apostles, they would say in their letters, if someone brings to you something different than what we have brought to you, let them be, a, let them be cursed. Let, them, let that, that person be rejected because the Holy Spirit has given to us our truth. Someone in prayer meeting this morning said, well, what about Peter and, and Paul disagreeing in the book of Galatians, right? Well, my, my suggestion there is that Peter and Paul are not, they're not, disagreeing on what is truth. They're disagreeing on Peter's uh, application or following through on, on what is truth. And I think Peter would repent of that. But I don't think they're, I don't think Peter's saying, Paul, you're saying this is true. I'm saying this is true. I'm suggesting to you that this is a promise specifically directed at them. Now, before, before you think that I'm trying to say that the Spirit of God is not involved in our life, that He's not leading us into truth, I'm not suggesting that. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, and I'm reading chapter 2, verse 1. You can just listen. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, Paul writing, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Drop down to verse 10. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Now who's the us? Now the us... I, I want to say in verse 10 that he's talking about the apostles there in light of what I just said to you. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For he, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him? And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us in God. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it's foolishness to that person. He's not able to understand it. Here's my point. I think Paul is saying that, yes, the Spirit of God is at work in our lives to lead us and to direct us, but I don't know that the Spirit is promising the same thing He promised to the apostles, that He would lead them in absolutely perfect truth so they could record for us the Word of God. In our case, the Spirit dwells within us, and, and He teaches us, but we have to submit to Him. 
We have to be filled with him. We, we have to listen to his voice that, you know, the spirit isn't making us believe a certain thing. And consequently, we've been divided as believers over, over the millennia since Jesus left. We've been divided over what's truth as we look at the apostles teaching. And, and so it behooves us. Here, here's the point I'm trying to get. We, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to teach us and, and to lead us. Here's something that I don't know if you realize or not, but wherever the Spirit of God has gone, wherever the church has gone, education has followed. Did you know that? I mean, we're, we're the ones, when I say we're, we as in believers in the Lord Jesus, we're the ones that have promoted throughout the world, throughout the millennia, we're the ones that have promoted education. Did you know that higher education was really so that we could train our pastors and our leaders? That's where it came about in the Western world, the university and all. It came about at training, training men so that they could lead the church. And why is that? It's because, because we believe truth matters. And the Holy Spirit of God, he gave truth to the apostles perfectly. And he is working with us to discern that truth and to know what that truth is. Paul says to Timothy, he said, I write, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now listen, the pillar and support of the truth. When Satan, what Satan wants to do is deceive the nations. What we want to do is disciple the nations. What we want to do is teach the nations. And, and the Spirit of God, He's working in and through us. Jesus said, listen, here's what I want you to do, everyone. I want you to go out here and I want you to teach my followers to observe all that I have commanded you. God desires for us to teach the Word of God, to teach. The Spirit is working with us that we might teach the Word of God. Let me go on. Maybe I can, I feel like this is muddy. Let me go on and see if I can't bring some more clarity to it. Jesus teaches the, the, the teaching of the vine and some other wonderful teachings in John's, in John's gospel for us. When we get to verse 26, he goes back to the counselor again. He says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Now here, Jesus is obviously talking to them, but the Spirit is going to have a job beyond them. You see that? The job beyond them in this particular case is that the Spirit is going to testify to Jesus, and the Spirit is going to testify to truth. He says, even in the same way you guys are going to testify to what you've seen from the beginning, in the same way the Spirit of God is going to be testifying to everyone. He will testify about Jesus, the Spirit will. To who will the Spirit testify? Again, it doesn't really say in the text, but if we were to, if we were to look at who were they to testify to, who were they to testify to? They were to testify both, uh, he, he would tell them you're to testify in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, right? So I think it would be safe for us to assume that Jesus is saying, as you go out and testify, the Spirit of God is also going to testify to all men about who I am. And I, I want here, so here's an applicational thought that I want to share with you that I, that I really want you to be encouraged by. Every time you and I testify to Jesus, I believe the Spirit of God is right there testifying with us, okay? So, you know, some people, some people try to divide that up and say that the Spirit of God, He has to testify different than, than us. 
I don't know about all of that. I, I think the Spirit of God is testifying to people's hearts whether I am or not. But here's the thing I want you to, to know that I believe with all my heart, that is every time you take the Word of God and you share the Word of God with someone, I, I mean, I think the Spirit of God is right there taking His Word, confirming it to the heart, bringing conviction. Uh, you know, I think He's testifying right alongside you. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. When the Counselor comes, He will testify about me. He's the Spirit of truth that proceeds from God. He'll testify about me. You will testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Then Jesus continues His teaching. And he says, um, they keep saying, you know, if you go back and if you were to read John 14 through 16, they keep saying, we don't understand this going away thing. We don't, what are you talking about going away? I mean, we, we're always, we're all looking back on the, on the leaving of Jesus and his return. I mean, it's the, our blessed hope is the return of Jesus. Jesus hasn't left. They don't even get it. What do you mean you're going away? They, they're not operating in this Jesus is coming now and he's going away and coming again. They're not operating in that. They're not even understanding it. They say, we don't get this going away thing. So he continues to say to them about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16, verse 6. Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you, it is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go away, I will send him, uh, send him to you. Something really, really interesting. Jesus said, the coming of the Spirit is tied to my leaving, my going away. The Spirit's coming because I go away. If I don't go away, he doesn't come. It's so funny. I got it right here in my notes. But at the prayer time this morning, we were, as we read the text that I'm reading to you now, somebody in the prayer time asked this morning before we began to pray, said, well, why is it that Jesus had to leave before the Spirit would come? So I'm going to read you my notes. Honestly, don't know why that is other than the Spirit, other than the heart and plan of God, meaning why Jesus had to leave before the Spirit could come. I have absolutely no idea. I don't. I don't, I, can't, I don't even fathom a guess. Maybe you got a guess as to why Jesus had to leave before the Spirit came. I mean, it's coming a new world. There's coming a new creation. Jesus will rule here. I believe the Spirit will be here too. Why, 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 why couldn't they be? Why? Other than this is the plan of God, I don't know, right? I, I, will, I would like to venture a guess onto why it is more advantageous that the Spirit, that he, that he leave and the Spirit come. I would like to venture a, a, a Holy Spirit-inspired thought, maybe. I don't know. Or just a Jimmy-educated guess. Uh, you know, it's because Jesus is now limited by space and time. Jesus has now incarnated himself um, into our existence. And so, therefore, there's a limitation that the Spirit of God evidently does not have. And so it is to our advantage, Jesus said, that I go away and there's a Spirit come, because the Spirit can be in you guys even as He can be in me. He can be in all of us together at the same He can He can live and dwell in each one of our hearts in our lives together. Okay? So I think that's why that's advantageous. Verse 8, Jesus continues, When He, that is the Spirit of truth, the Counselor, the, the one who I'm going to send, comes, Here's what he'll do. He'll convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. About judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And Jesus clearly tells them that after his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit 
would, would have this convicting role in the world. He, he would bring to light, expose, and convince the world of three things, he says. One, that uh, they rejected Jesus and it was a sin. I, I, can I say, I think he's probably aiming this primarily at the unbelieving Jews of his day. I think Jesus is saying, when he talks about the world, I think he's probably meaning in specificity, he's probably meaning the Jewish unbelieving world. They're, they're going to, he's going to convict them that they rejected Jesus. He's going to convict them of the righteousness of Jesus because of his resurrection. And they're going, and the Spirit's going to convict them of the judgment that's coming because uh, the God of this world has been judged. Now, and exactly how that would be, I, I don't know. But, but I also believe that this is the role of the Spirit even in our lives today, and even in the world today, that he's doing that that he's bringing conviction. This is why I said a minute ago that if you share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, if you tell people about Jesus, about the new kingdom, about about Jesus conquering death for us, about how we can live, if you share that word, I, I think the Spirit of God is going to partner with you and bring conviction to the inner man that you can't bring. He's the one that's going to bring a lot of persuasion to the heart. Not always. Or, and even if he does, I don't think, I don't think it's automatic. I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's, I don't think he's flipping the light switch on and off on people. I think there's still within the, the autonomy of man. He has to, I believe, respond in faith to, to, to Jesus. And so the Spirit convicts, but that doesn't mean that people will listen. Verse 12. Jesus says, continues on him in chapter uh, 16. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Now, don't forget, he's not talking to Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And, and he is talking to, what, 11 guys? He's talking to 11 men. There may have been more. But there was those 11 men that had been with him from the beginning. He's talking to them. He says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. What do you mean by that? Uh, it's just, it would be too much. Blow your mind. It would, it would just, it would affect you negatively. I can't share it all. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. And He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I've told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Much more, Jesus says, but he says right now you just can't bear it. You can't bear it. Let me, look at the, let me show you the four things he says. He says to them, the Spirit, when he comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll bring glory to Jesus. He will tell them things to come. They would know things about the future. He would speak to them those things. And the Spirit, when He came, He would not contradict the things of Jesus, the things that Jesus had taught. He wouldn't speak on His own. He's not going to come and He's not going to change anything from what I've told you guys. He's just going to help you understand it. He will speak what He's heard. He will declare that which is from Jesus and the Father. And the very next day, Jesus would cruelly die. The very next day, Jesus would, uh, in brutality, succumb to death. But then on Sunday, he would overcome death, and he would never die again. And he would appear to his followers for the next 40 days, teaching them, preparing them, encouraging them, promising he's coming. I'm sending him. Don't, don't go away. And so in that 40 days, as we got towards the end of it, 
Jesus now ascends in his humanity, his glorified humanity, ascends back to the Father. You know, in, in Sunday school today, Dave, it's, it's the Son of Man returning back to the Ancient of Days. But he returns back to heaven from where he had come. And uh, he, this is what we read. This is just right, right before this is to happen. He says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the, prom- for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and the cloud took him out of their sight. So here Jesus tells them, listen, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the helper, he's not soon off. You guys remain right here in Jerusalem until he comes. And he says this, not only is he going to teach you about the things of God and teach you truth so you know clearly, so you can be the apostles teaching. He says, when he comes, he is going to give you power. He's going to give you power. And um, so power for what? That's a good question, isn't it? But wait right here, because when the Holy Spirit comes, He shall give you power. What kind of power? Power to do what? You ever asked that question? Thought about that? You know, a lot of folks believe that, um, that it was power to do the supernatural. And, and indeed, you know, and indeed these men, when the Spirit came upon them in the years that followed, they had power at times, whether it was all the time or whether it was intermittent and the Spirit of God would do it through them. I'm not sure. But they, they had power that was supernatural. They raised the dead just like Jesus did, right? They healed people that could not be healed by their own bodies or healed by whatever medical science there was at that day. We've never seen anybody healed of blindness, for instance, or the guy with the withered arm. I mean, nobody could fix that. Nobody's, one, nobody's own body could fix that. And no medical science could fix that. Yet the, the disciples would pray and whatever, and these kind of things would be done. So it could be that kind of power. And some people, and some people say, well, that's the kind of power that the, the Spirit of God wanted to bring. And I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But I'm, I'm saying I really think that there's a difference. Uh, there's a different kind of power that the Spirit of God wants to bring to all of us. And, and that power is the power to live God's, let Jesus live his life through us. That he wants to give you and me the power to live the way God wants us to live. Let me see if I can't, let me see if I can't illustrate this. Jesus said, wait right here, don't leave. For just a few days, the gift of the Father is coming and you shall receive power. And you're going to do all kinds of mighty miracles because of it. That's not what the verse says, is it? You shall receive power and what? And you shall become my witnesses. I'm not discounting the fact that the apostles did supernatural things and maybe even believers today have been given power from the Holy Spirit from time to time to be instruments of of power in that way. 
But the thing that Jesus points to is that you're going to have power to be my witnesses. I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but in, in John chapter, I mean, in, in Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John are told not to preach in Jesus' name, and they say, sorry, we've got to do it anyway. You know, if it's right to obey you, obey God. Sorry, we, we're going to obey God. We're not going to stop preaching about Jesus. And, and they, they threaten them. They let them go. They all go back together, and they're telling them the story, and they start praying they start praying, and they are, they're asking God for boldness in their prayers. And the Bible says that the place where they are is shaken, and they're filled with boldness. It's not, it's not they're filled with supernatural miracles. They're filled with boldness. And again, I, I'm, really care, I'm trying to be careful here because I, I, I recognize that not everybody would agree with me as to what the power of the Holy Spirit is. But I want you to understand that, that the power of the Holy Spirit, at least in part, is to help you and me live for Jesus, to not sin, to be holy, and, and not just to be holy in our character and in our life, but it, it is to help us be strong and bold and courageous in our witness, filled with faith so that we can talk about Jesus and we can, we can introduce people to Jesus and we can bring the message of Jesus to, uh, to others. Ten days after, after Jesus left on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to believers. You remember the story. I won't go into it. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. But then several times afterwards, we, we have kind of the same manifestations of the Holy Spirit coming upon believers. He comes upon Cornelius, who's a Roman, and his family. He comes upon them in such a way that it's visible and representative. I mean, everybody sees it. And they say, whoa, God gave his spirit to the Romans. And then we have the Samaritans, you know, the hated, vile half-breed of Samaritans. Then they believe, and what happens? The Spirit of God gets poured out on them in a way that's manifested, and they can see it and experience. And, and so God's even giving his spirit to the Samaritans. This is for these Jewish believers to understand that this is something that God is doing for all of us. So on the one hand, I want you to hold the tension that on that night when Jesus said to his disciples things like, I'm going to guide you into all truth and you're going to know all truth. I think that's a specific thing to him, to them, right? That they would be able to write the apostles teaching. But that does not mean that the spirit of God was not to be a gift for all of us. He was to be in all of us. He was to empower all of us. Why he's not leading all of us to believe the same thing, to understand things the same way. I guess it has to do with our fallen nature, our sinfulness. You know, one day he's now we, what does the Bible say? We see through a, a glass dimly, right? A dark glass right now. And so maybe that has something to do with it. Our own willfulness has something to do with it. But the spirit of God has been given to all of us and he's at work in all of us. My desire this morning I don't know how well I'm doing. I feel like I'm really got muddy water here this morning, but my desire is to, in a fresh sort of way, rekindle this desire in your heart to say, Spirit, I want you to lead in my life. I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to empower my life. The book of Acts is filled with the Holy Spirit. Seriously, guys, take your, take your Bible. You want, to do, you want to do an exercise. Read through the book of Acts and look for the work of the Holy Spirit 
enunciated, recorded for us, written down that the Spirit did this, the Spirit did that. I mean, it is just, it's permeating the pages of the book of Acts, all right? Um, in the early years, the, the, the believers argued over this Spirit of truth, this Holy Spirit. Who is He? Is the Spirit of truth, I mean, is He just God the Father coming and, and teaching us as a Spirit? He's the Holy Spirit. Is that the Father coming like that? Um, people said, people would ask the question, well, this Holy Spirit, is He uh, just a manifestation, a different manifestation of Jesus and of God? And still others began to ask the question, again, if we were in Sunday school, we had a great representation of this this morning, David. But... Um, People began to say, or, or is the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is He a distinct person and yet God? Again, not all the followers of Jesus agreed back then. Not everybody agrees today. But the majority of us who follow Jesus have come to the conclusion that the Spirit of God is God. And He is a person. He's a real person like Jesus. And he's a real person like the Father. He has personality and He has he has thoughts and will, and he is a separate, distinct person from God the Father and God Jesus the Son. But he's a real person. And this person, the Spirit, has come to make its residence in us. And all throughout the book of Acts, we find the Spirit teaching us and convicting us and challenging us, empowering us and comforting us and leading us. Later New Testament leaders would say we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, what does that mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I think it means that we need to have our lives surrendered to the Spirit, saying, Spirit, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm, I'm willing to go, follow, I'm willing to do whatever you lead me to do. So we're filled with the Spirit, we're submitted to the Spirit. Paul would say that we live and serve in the newness of Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We're not under the law. Remember Paul saying that? What does that mean? We're not under the law, but under the Spirit. That means this. That means that you and I are to be led because the Spirit of God is in me, and He's leading me. And I don't, I don't actually even need, I don't actually need the law because, because He's in my heart, and he's, he's going to teach me and lead me and show me how to go, even, even if I didn't have the law. He, we walk in the newness of the Spirit. Again, don't, don't, I feel like I just want to make sure nobody swings the pendulum to the other side. I'm not saying that God's law is not, God's law is good, the Bible says. But Paul was the one that says, we're, we're not led by the law, we're led by the Spirit. We are told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's presence dwells in us. Listen, everyone, God is in us. What does that mean? I don't know. I just know He is. He lives in us together as a group, not just me. He lives in us as a people, as, a, as we are the temple of God. So this morning, I want to encourage you to embrace afresh the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Now, how did the Holy Spirit, I mean, how did, the Holy Spirit, how did the church embrace the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I've been praying, God, show me, and, and I, th I think I know how they embraced the Spirit of God in their lives. And I actually told you this not too long ago, maybe back in February it was. But I, I think the key to embracing the Spirit in our lives, now listen, nothing great, not, I mean, nothing, nothing really... It's to live dependent on the Spirit through prayer. I mean, that, that's it. That's the key to being Spirit-filled. That's the key to allowing the Spirit to 
rule and work and lead and guide and empower and change and transform us. It's, it's us dependent on the Spirit in prayer. Peter and John are arrested. I already told you the story. They're arrested. And uh, when they come back, you know, they come back, everybody's rejoicing that they've been released. And uh, when, they, when they heard that they had been released, they began to pray, raising their voices to God. And they said, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our, our father David, your servant said, why were the nations insolent and the people plotting in vain? And they go on and on and on. For a time, I'm just going to kind of skip to the end of it. And it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. I think the key to being spirit filled, the key to having the power of the spirit work in us as a church and you and me individually is going to be our dependence on him through prayer. Just days before, maybe maybe a week before or so, in verse 14 of, of chapter 1 of Acts, it says, They were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Here's the apostles. Here's what they're doing. They're hanging out, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how? what are they doing as they're waiting? What, what does it say? It says they're just right there with one mind praying together. They're, they're joined together in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Go back to Acts 2.42. What did the new believers do? They devoted themselves. They leaned hard into the apostles' teaching to fellowship and to, say it, prayer, right? They leaned hard into prayer. This is, how, this is how the Holy Spirit, this is how we walk in the Spirit. This is how the Spirit of God's power is poured out in and through us. And it says they were together again, 120 of them this time. And it doesn't say why they were gathered. But I want to suggest that they were gathered in part at least to pray. That was part of the reason for their gathering. And then they're together again, this time at Pentecost, and God gave His Spirit, and the Spirit of truth comes upon them. And, and what are they doing that day? Again, it doesn't say, but, but I just can't help believe that they're doing what they've been doing all along, which is gathering in one mind to pray and, and to talk with God and, and to see God working through them. What time is it? Oh, I'm almost out of time. Dad, it. I'm sorry, everyone. I, I've struggled this week because this is so important, and I've, I, I'm just shooting honest with you. It's, I'm just, I've struggled. How do I convey this truth in such a way that you're not glazing over with your eyes and tuning me out? Because I think this is, this is where the power of God's going to be for us to change our community and ultimately our world. I'm almost out of time, so let me hurry. Um, James and Peter are uh, arrested on another, uh, another occasion. And um, Peter, excuse me, Pe James is killed. Peter is arrested. And they're fearing for Peter. And you remember the story. The, the angel comes, sets Peter free, and walks him out of the prison. He goes to John Mark's house, it seems like. When he gets there, he knocks on the door. And um, when they open, excuse me, 
So he goes to John Mark's house, and uh, when he knocks on the door, the slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran back in to announce that Peter was standing outside the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they said, it's as an angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to him with his hands to be silent. He described to them how he had, um, had left. Do you know why? they were in that place they'd gathered to pray for Peter they didn't they weren't really believing that the Spirit of God was going to work but my point is they were gathered together for prayer praying for Peter and Peter gets released note the connection between prayer and uh, and the Spirit Paul to Ephesus and pray in the Spirit at all occasions with all kinds of prayers and request uh, with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people Jude says but you dear friends by building yourself up in the most holy faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit some people say well praying in the Holy Spirit means praying in a language you've never learned or a celestial language man I don't think so at all and the reason I say that is because Paul would later say if you're praying in some language that you don't know he says you're not being fruitful you're not you're you're edifying yourself but you're not blessing anyone else and if you go back up to what Paul says to Ephesus he says pray in the spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and crests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people so it seems to be here that that he's he's saying your prayers are for people not just something you're praying in in your own heart Pray dependent on the Holy Spirit. We, we need to look to Him and pray and, and say, Holy Spirit, we need you to work. We need to depend on Him, and it needs to be revealed in the fact that we pray and look to Him. All right. I'm really struggling today. Y'all pray for me. I'm just being honest. I'm really struggling today. Not because I don't, not because I, I believe I'm, I believe I have something to say to you from the Lord, but I'm struggling and I'm, I'm not presenting it well. How, you remember this? I asked you this question a couple months ago. Do you believe that God can do bigger things than you can? Do you believe that God can do better things than you can? Do you believe that God can do faster things than you can? Well, how is that? Well, it's, he has to do it through his power, right? How do we avail ourselves of that power? I'm telling you this morning, it's through prayer. How, how do we avail ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit? We do it through prayer. J.C. Ryle, 19th century pastor leader, he said, I have read the lives of so many eminent Christians who have been on earth since Bible days. Some of them I see were rich, some poor, some learned, some unlearned, some Calvinists, some non-Calvinists. But one thing I see they all had in common. They all had been men of prayer. So whether it's individually or as a body, the key to embracing the power of the Holy Spirit this morning for all of us is going to be that we walk dependent on him in prayer. So this morning I have I have three things that I want to ask of you. Okay, these are my applications. The first one is this. I want to ask you to personally embrace greater dependence on the Holy Spirit and, uh, and I want to ask you to do it through prayer. I want to ask you to personally depend on the Holy Spirit by praying and looking to Him in prayer and asking for His help. If you, if you, I have a bunch of practical stuff. Go back to the last summon, Sunday in February, and I gave you a bunch of practical things that Sunday. But, but I want to ask you personally to do that. But here's the second one, and, uh, and, I, and I struggle here. 
I want to ask you to consider being a part of the church body praying together. I want to ask you to be a part of the church body praying together. In, in the book of Acts, it was 120 of them gathered. Again, I'm assuming it doesn't specifically say in that passage they were praying, but it says they were gathered just before that, gathered together one mind praying. They were devoted to prayer. They leaned into it. The picture we see in the Bible is that they're always leaning into prayer as a church family. We as American Western Christians, we're too individualistic. We're too individualistic. We look, at, we look at following Jesus as it's just a Jimmy thing. Jimmy's just following Jesus. And, and, and listen, there is an individual part to it. The Bible says that Jesus in the morning got up early when no one else was with him and went out and prayed, right? But if we look in the New Testament over and over again in the book of Acts, when they're praying, it's never individually. It's always they're praying as a church. It's always they're praying as God's people. It's always they're gathered together to seek the Lord together because together we're the temple of God. Together we're the people of God. Together we're the family of God. And somehow we've got to change our mindset. Listen, we live in this, in this Western world that's trying to make us personal autonomy is, is the, the greatest value. It's the thing that matters the most. Me, my, and my stuff, and my whatever. In the body of Christ, it's not me, my, and whatever. It's us together. That's the picture that you see. And so I'm asking, is, is there a way that you might pray? And I'm going to struggle. You know my personality, everyone. I, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I promise I'm not. And I don't even want to talk about this because it feels like I'm doing that. But I, want, I, I can't do it any other way to say this. Will you consider praying with us together as a family? And if Sunday morning at 8 o'clock is not the time to do it, tell me when. There's five of us this morning. There's normally eight of us at the most, you know, on Sunday morning praying. I chose Sunday morning at 8 o'clock because I thought it'd be a great time because all of you that don't have kids, you could come early and you could pray with us, right? But it doesn't happen. And so maybe it's the time, but, but it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter the time because whatever time we pick, we don't come. And so why is that? You know, Janice, who is part of the Sunday morning prayer time, says she says, Jimmy, I think people are intimidated to pray. They think you're going to make them pray out loud, and they don't want to pray out loud, and they're intimidated by that. And, and by all means, beloved, you don't have to pray out loud when we come together to pray. I mean, you can, you can pray. Janice said, I, it's okay if I tell this, Janice. If it's not, I'm sorry. I repent. Forgive me. But Janice said, you know, I just determined that if I didn't have anything to pray out loud, I wasn't going to pray out loud, but I was going to pray with everyone. And so Janice comes, and some days she prays out loud, and some days she doesn't. But with Afghan Afghanistan is collapsing. We meet one evening to pray, and there's 11 of us. There's 11 of us. We choose a Sunday night, and there might be 18 of us. So my point is, and again, I'm saying this not to shame us or to manipulate us, but I, I do have to confess disappointment. But, but what I am trying to say is that, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I'm, maybe it doesn't matter that we pray together. Maybe it doesn't matter for the work of the Holy Spirit in our church for us to come together and pray. I'm being honest. Maybe it doesn't matter. But it seems to me in the Bible that it does matter. And this is where my quandary is. This is where the difficulty is for me. That in the Scripture it seems that they came together to pray. And uh, I just, I believe that if we want to embrace the power of the Spirit in our church family, we need to come together to pray. I mean, is it, is it a work? Yes. 
it's, it's not easy. It's not like, it's not like uh, uh, what am I trying to say? It, it's not creating endorphins because it's such a wonderful experience, right, when we're praying like that. It's difficult. But I believe it is consequential. And so, again, I may be wrong, but I really want to challenge you to consider not just praying individually and depending on the Holy Spirit individually, but coming and praying with us. And if Sunday morning, if you want to, and you say, well, Jimmy, Sunday morning is not the right time. I can't do it Sunday morning. And listen, if you've got little kids, I get it. You can't come. I get it. But if it's not the right time, tell me when is a good time. And, and we'll see if we can't work out some better time for all of us to come together. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.